2 Timothy chapter 4. Very familiar text to those who have studied the Bible, those who have read this Bible. I've preached out of this text time and time and time again. It just I've seen something in here that's different from the, I've seen all the others. I love the way God can take the Word of God and you can read it and get something out of it that will use you and be a, a blessing to you for that day and you come back to that very same Scriptures and God refreshes it and brings something back to your mind that you never saw before. I saw this. I got happy. I got excited. I got to thinking about Paul and all that Paul had went through. I, I, I'm so glad that uh, uh, he pins this, that gives us an encouragement to lift us up and lift us up and, and, and uh, help us through our, our walk in this world that we live in today. If you read the Bible, you'll find that it'll make your life a lot sweeter. It'll make your problems a lot endurable. But if you don't read the Bible, you have to face this world. And let me just say, I don't want to face this world without God. I don't want to do it. Because God is what you need as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, let us stand. For those who can, those who can't. I heard bones cricking and back knocking and everything else. <laughs> Gets in tall, I guess. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Boy, they've took that out of text so many times. And Paul just said, Timothy, it, it doesn't matter what time it is, no matter what. You, you should be a Christian no matter where you're at and what you're going through. No matter what time of year you are in, you ought to be a Christian. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Rebuke, re, rebuke and reprove and exhort all with long-suffering doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their, 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 their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction to do the work of the evangelist. Make proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered and, be, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me all that that day, and not only me only, but unto all them that also love the is appearing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We just thank you for each one that's here today. Lord, we just ask you to bless heart, lift us up, and encourage us. Help us to be a, 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 a speaking platform that your words may go forth, Lord. And Father, we just ask you to empty yourself and fill with thy spirit. In precious name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen, amen. Be seated. Keep your Bibles open. We will be looking at some other scriptures this morning. Uh, I, I don't usually do this on Monday, uh, Sunday morning, having to turn to Bibles and the scriptures and everything else. But this morning is going to be a little different. If you're on Sunday nights and Wednesday night, you'll find that we, we go through the Bible in every place. We're in the Bible all over the place. And, uh, but the day is something a little bit different. We find these are the last recorded words of the greatest Christian that ever lived. 
The greatest Christian bar none on this side of Calvary, and this man's name is Paul. He writes most of the New Testament. I know that Paul, if he was standing here, would say, Paul, you were such a great Christian. You've done this and done that, and you started churches and all these things. But Paul said, you know what? I don't need the accolades. I don't need to be put on a pedestal. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm a wretched man. I'm a nobody. In fact, when you start reading Paul's life, you can't help to come away admiring the faithfulness, the power of the walk of this man with God. The first five verses we read uh, out of this chapter, Paul pens. This is Paul's practical instruction to this young pastor, Timothy. He's letting Timothy know that this is what you need to do in your life. Preach the word. Don't worry about if they like it or not. Just be faithful and live for God. Be instant in season, out of season. And Paul warns him in verse number 3, For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine. Can I speak to your heart this morning and tell you uh, the time that Paul said shall come is already here today. Uh, uh, we're not waiting for the fulfillment of verse number three. Uh, it has already been fulfilled in our life right now. People don't endure sound doctrine of the word of God. We're, we're living in a day where even Christians will say, I don't care what the Bible says. Well, if you don't believe what the Word of God says, how can you keep your bearing straight in the walk of this world, in your life going with God? We have no other authority other than the Word of God this morning. And the craftiness and the clever device of Satan, he's saying the Word of God nobody actually has. Nobody has the Word of God. God's Word is inspired in the original manuscripts, uh, and nobody has original manuscripts. They're lost. But can I tell you this morning, I have the inerrant, inspired Word of God in front of me. I have the Scriptures. I have the Word of God in me. And that's what you need in this world today. God wrote this letter for you and I this morning. But then Paul in the next three verses goes from talking to Timothy about Timothy's ministry to talking about his own ministry. He stops telling Timothy to do this and do that. In verse number six, he changes. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. In verse 6 through 8, Paul moves from giving Timothy practical instructions to his own personal itinerary. This is the end of the line for Paul. This is it for Paul. But even though Paul is about to lose his life, he's still got plans for the future. Paul is fixing a dime. But it doesn't mean that Paul doesn't have a plan for what comes after. What's coming next in his life. In verse 6 he said, I am now ready to be offered. He said, I'm ready to die. 
Can I tell you something? The only person that is ready, truly ready to die is someone that saved a, a saved man, a saved woman this morning. You ain't really truly ready to die until you know Jesus Christ and you know God. Your sins have been cleansed. You're not ready to die until you know that Jesus has cleansed your sins. Until you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not ready to die. Paul said, I, I'm ready. There are three things that a Christian should always be ready to do. Instant, in season, out of season, no matter where you're at. Three things a Christian should always be ready to do. You should always be ready to preach. You say, well, I'm not a preacher, but you should share the gospel. You should always be ready to pray. We all should be able to pray. And as a Christian, we all should be ready to die. Amen. Paul says, for now I'm ready to be offered up and the time of departure is at hand. Paul said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm fixing to step out, of, out on the old ship of Zion. I've got one-way ticket out of this crazy, messed-up world. Uh, it's a departure time for the child of God. Death is not the final chapter. Death is not the final answer. And for a child of God, death is simply a doorway into eternity. Stepping from this side through the door to the other side of eternity. In verse 8 he said, henceforth. Paul just got through telling us that he's going to die. Paul, there's not a henceforth for you. Uh, you're about ready to die. You're going to the chopping block. Uh, your head's going to be cut off. Uh, Paul, how in the world can you say, henceforth laid up me a crown of righteousness? How in the world can you say that, Paul? Well, Paul said that because he believed that. Amen. Three things from verse number eight I want to show you this morning that hit me. And I pray that it hits you. Can I say that Paul made it ready for heaven in Acts number 9 when he got saved? When he got to the verse 8, what's coming next, Jesus Christ, the crown of righteousness, he got ready for that because of verse number 7 when he said, I will tell you why I'm ready to go. I'm not afraid. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. That's why Paul was confident about seeing Jesus Christ without fear, without shame, because he had fought a good fight. He has kept the faith. Uh, he has kept his course. He's worked for the Lord. He served God. He worshiped God. He bleed and died for God. Preaching on this thought. Are you ready for what's coming next? Are you ready for what's coming next? If you are about to draw your last breath in this earth, or if Jesus is coming back and the cloud's going to part back and, and the righteous Son, the Son of God, steps out on the clouds, and one day He will. Are you ready, child of God, for what's going to come next? Because you're going to live on that side a lot longer than you're going to live on this side this morning. Amen? Amen. Paul was ready for what was coming next without fear. He said, I'm ready to go. I fought the fight. 
I finished the course. I kept the faith. Henceforth, this, after this, I know what comes next. And I am ready for it. He was really ready for it because Paul lived the life in the light of eternity. Not looking at this time, not looking at this present world. He lived his not life not for the temporal, the things that we see. But Paul was looking at the things eternal. The Bible said, when we look not at the things which are seen, but things that which are not seen, for the things which are seen are just temporal, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. The problem is we are heavenly, so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But I've met a lot of people. Some were so earthly minded they were not heavenly good at all. When I had eye surgery, I thought I could see. I thought I could see real good. Until I went to the doctor and they said, you got a problem. Where? In your eyes. I see it. They throw the stuff at me and they would throw it at me and I could see some of it. They said, no, you got something wrong with your eye right here. We got to take care of it. What do you got to do? Got to give you surgery on my eye. You're going to cut on my eye? No, we're not going to do that. Well, we're going to give you a shot in my eye. Yeah, no, you're not going to do that. I could see the needle coming. We didn't know I, 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 all over. I couldn't see the needle coming. I went to the VA and they stuck me in a room, gave me an IV, and came and gave me grisly stuff. I was grisly. But, but then they came in, they put me on a table and put me up like this and said, don't move, don't, don't talk, don't sneeze, don't do anything. If you got to do anything, just hum. I said, why? Because if you start talking, your eyes are going to move, your face will move. They might jab you with all these sharp instruments they have around you. We don't want to do that. I didn't, I didn't hum. I didn't move. I didn't do nothing for an hour. I just laid there and took it. But when I took the bandages off of me, I did not realize how bad I was until I took that bandage off me. I was like, good grief. I, I, I start seeing things a lot clearer. The problem is we're, we're so nearsighted uh, as Christians. We see everything for the nasty now and now that we can't see the, the sweet by and by. We can't see what God's got to because we already set for the things right here. And God said, Paul said, hey, I, I'm ready to go. I, I fought my fight. Uh, I, I finished my course. I kept the faith. Uh, and, I, and I'm ready to go. Why? Because I wasn't watching and keeping an eye on the things here. But I was looking at another place. That's why I'm ready to go. That's why I did what I did. Out of verse 8. Three things I want you to see as a Christian that you should be waiting for. You should be preparing for this morning. First thing we read in verse 8. He said, henceforth, after this, this is what's coming next. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me 
at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that loved his appearing. Paul said, there's going to be a crown laid up for me. In other words, Paul said, there's a crown waiting on me. How did he know that? i tell you how he knew that. Because of what he'd done in verse number 7. He said that I finished the course. I've kept my faith and I, and, I, and, I, and I fought a good fight. And because I know that I did that and because I know that I've done those things, there is a crown waiting on me. Look at the receiving of this crown, this righteous crown that Paul gives. Let me say this before I get started. Don't get rewards and righteousness mixed up or confused. You can earn crowns, but you cannot earn righteousness. Righteousness is based off, uh, crowns is based off services, but righteousness is based off you accepting Jesus Christ as the righteous one and he imputes his righteousness onto you and you impute his, your sins on him. That's the only way you can get righteousness. Paul said, uh, I've earned a crown. I've served him. I live for him. I strive lawfully according to the word of God. And done what he told me to do. What I'm asking you is. When it comes to the next. Will you receive anything? Will you receive anything? Are you going to have anything to show to Christ. To the life that you live for Christ here on earth. When you get to that judgment seat of Christ. Are you going to have absolutely nothing. All the years of service that you said you've been saved, uh, sitting in church, listening to preaching, going out witnessing, all those years that you served God and have absolutely nothing. Paul said, I, I'm not ashamed and I'm, I'm not afraid because of what I've done. What I've done. Will there be anything that shows and says that you are a child of God? You did a good job for Jesus Christ. That child looked and longed for and lived for Jesus Christ. He looked at it like he's coming every day. That's the way we need to look at it as this of the day that Jesus Christ is coming back. Uh, what a look and long for that day. This could be the day. This could be the hour. Paul said, hey, my eyes were not set on the world. My eyes were not set on the things of this world. My eyes were set on eternity. I've always thought about eternity. Have you done anything for the glory of God? To show Christ your work for Him. The Bible tells us that our works is like jewels, silver and gold, or like wood, stubble, or hay. Those things that can be burned up, wood, stubble, and hay can be burnt up. 
that jewels, uh, the silver and gold, uh, uh, just get tried by the fire. And let me just say this. Uh, I'd hate to be standing before Jesus Christ at the uh, judgment seat of Christ uh, and all the works that I had, all the works that I've done are in a pile there. And Jesus Christ is looking at him and looking at me saying, it's going to be tried by fire. How do you know what fire is that? Well, in Revelation, the Bible says Jesus looked as flames came out of his eyes. And I, look, I believe this all my heart. Jesus Christ is going to look at your pile to work. He's going to see all that you've done. And he's going to look at it. And what's sustained is those things you've done for God and those things that burn up the things you've done for yourself. I believe that. Now, the question is, when Christ does judge your work, will there be anything left? I'd hate to stand before God with a handful of ashes. Years of service, years of worshiping, years of praying, and years of witnessing, and just ashes in my hand because all I did was just for vain glory for self instead of giving God the glory. Paul says there's a, there's a righteous crown waiting for me. He, he's going to receive this crown. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you haven't done work, you haven't gone out and witnessed, you haven't prayed, you haven't done the things, you, you haven't been faithful to God, you haven't been faithful to the house of God, you haven't been faithful to the Word of God, let me just say, don't expect a crown this morning. Bible says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love which you have showed toward His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. There might be Christians who does not recognize what you do for God. You say, well, nobody knows I do this. Nobody sees what I do, and I don't get the recognition. Let me just say this. You're not doing it for you. You're doing it for God. There are going to be some things you do for God, absolutely do for God, and nobody else will ever know about it. There's going to be some times that, that you work for God that nobody's ever going to see it. To, and yet uh, you say, well, I, I, I want people to see it. You're doing it for self-glory. God gets the glory. Whether anybody else sees what you do for God. Anybody ever heard the name Jerry Kramer? Jerry Kramer was a guard for the Green Bay Packers. Played for the NFC Championship against Dallas Cowboys. It was labored as the ice bowl. It came down with 16 seconds left in the game. Green Bay was on the uh, one-yard line. Dallas was ahead. I wasn't there to see it. I just read about it. Vince Lombardi was the coach of Green Bay. He called a timeout. He brought them all over to the side. He says, this is what we're going to do, boys. We're going to give it to Bart and let Bart take it. So Y'all just make him a hole so Bart can get through and we're going to win this game. He looked at Jerry Kramer. He said, you think you can do it? 
Yeah, I, I can do it. I, I, I can make a way. I, I'll get him in there. You just let him come my way. So they get back on the field. And everybody just knew in the stadium, Bart Starr was going to get the ball. There was no doubt in everybody's mind. Bart Starr was going to get the ball. Cowboys knew Bart Starr was going to get the ball. Everybody in the face getting yelling, Bart, Bart, Bart. He centered that ball and Bart pulled out and he ran, ran got right behind Jerry Kramer. And he pushed two people. Jeff Rothrow was the, the offense, defensive guy. He pushes him and he gets it out and Bart goes over him, gets in the end zone and all those bodies just lay down Jerry Kramer. Jerry Kramer said this in an interview. He says, laying into the, under a body of mashed flesh. And he looked over and seen Bart had gotten in the end zone. He heard everybody yelling, Bart, 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 Bart. He got kind of a little upset about that. He said, I made him a way in there. I got him in there. Nobody's yelling, Kramer, Kramer. Nobody's saying that. He gets up, get a little upset. But he looks over at Vince Lombardi. Vince knew what he'd done. He knew he'd made the way. And Vince didn't say anything. Jerry looked at him and Vince has done this. He said, it didn't matter if everybody else didn't know what I did, but my coach knew what I did. And all of a sudden he jumped up, Bart, Bart, Bart. It's going to be times there are people that you're going to do things for God that nobody's going to give you the recognition. Nobody's going to see. But let me just tell you what, God knows what you're doing. Amen. Thank you, Lord. There is rejoicing of the righteous crown. Paul talks many times about certain believers who were his crowns of rejoicing, how he led them to Christ. Paul talked about even rejoicing in trouble. How in the world is it possible for a man to rejoice in trouble? Well, I'll tell you how he can rejoice in trouble. He knew that his trouble was producing crown. When you know that you're suffering, your troubles are, you think they're pointless, but it is producing something of eternal value. You can have some rejoicing in the middle of it this morning. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us as far more exceedingly in eternal weight of glory. He said, our troubles and our trials that we go through are producing crowns that we have here. Can I say, you're not, you cannot be a cross barrier da- down here and let, in a crown wearer there if you haven't done your work here. Christ had to bear his, cry, his crown, his, his cross, before he got to bear the crown of righteousness. You cannot wear a crown down here until you bear your cross. See, we like to think we can wear our crowns down here. Lord, look at me. I'm so righteous and I'm so holy. You haven't bored your cross yet. You're going to have to bear a cross in order to wear a crown. Amen. 
Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, think not strange concerning the fiery trials which are tried you, as though some strange things happen unto you, but rejoice in as much as you have partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. We've talked about troubles with trials and tribulation. What is all that stuff producing? It's producing crowns of glory that shall not fade away. It is worth it all. What comes next? Are you ready for it? The righteous crown. Do you have one? Have you got any to show that you fought a good fight? You've kept the faith. What a shameful thing to stand for God, Jesus Christ. For as long as you serve God and have not done nothing. Paul said, there's a righteous crown waiting for me. But not only a righteous crown, there's a righteous Christ. Are you ready for what's next? Not only the righteous crown, but also the righteous Christ. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. You know what's coming next? You're going to meet the one, the perfect man. You're not going to have to answer to a pastor. You're not going to have to answer to a pope. The one that you're going to answer to is the one that suffered and bled and died at Calvary. The one that gave everything and lived a perfect life. That is the one that you're going to answer to. That's the one that's going to judge you. And I'm not talking about judging to see whether you are in heaven or where you're not. That comes at the great white throne of Christ, but he's going to judge the works that you've done. Amen. There are two things I want to show you about this day. There's going to be a reckoning with Christ Jesus. What do you mean a reckoning? The Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, every man's work shall be manifested, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And I told you earlier, I believe that fire is going to try your works and my works. But I believe it's in Revelation that the Lord's eyes were flames of fire. Everything you've ever done laid before Christ. Everything you've ever done is laid before your eyes. And they're going to be judged. What's left how much work you've done for God's sake is what's left, but how much work you've done for your sake is going to be burnt up. It kind of gets a little uncomfortable, don't it? Thinking about what I've done for Christ and what I did it for His sake or my sake, or I just want to get recognition, I want people to see me, what I'm doing, kind of get a little uncomfortable. But let me just say this. You ought to get a little uncomfortable here instead of being uncomfortable there. 
Amen. You ought to ask yourself, do I have anything to show for the work that I've done for God's sake? Here, all you hear in pulpits today is hoping, coping, and sharing. How to get along with everyone. I got to live for everything right now. I, I don't want you to just live for right now. Because right now is going to be burned up. I want you to live for what's coming next. So you're not ashamed when you meet Him. Because I live for God, I am glad to be a part of the family of God. There's going to be a returning to the righteous Christ. You want to know why Paul wanted to win a crown so bad? He talks about crowns throughout his writings. He talks about those crowns. There's not for his glory. They're not for him. Paul's not saying, look what I've done. Look how great I am. Paul is not doing that. If you're saying, look what I do. I do this. Look at me. Let me tell you what. You need to stop what you're doing. You're doing for the sake, Christ's sake, not your sake. Paul was interested in winning crowns. And you and I should be interested in winning crowns. Turn to Revelations chapter 4. Revelations chapter 4. I want you to see why Paul was interested in winning a crown. There's a return. Returning of this crown to his righteous Christ. Revelations chapter 4 verse number 10. The four and the 24 elders. Let me stop right there. Let me take a time out. Pause on that. I know people have different views on the four and 24 elders. I know there are people who believe this, believe that, believe this. Just take it for what it says, the four and the 24 elders. Just go with that. Fall down before him and cat and their, that seat on the throne of, and worship him and live forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. You know why Paul was interested in winning the crown? He knew it wasn't for himself. He knew that on that day when he stood for the Savior, he wanted to be able to bow down on his knees and worship God and cast the crowns that he's won back at the feet of the one who deserves it. Thou art worthy. Lord, I've cast to your feet. It's not compared to Calvary but just a token of the appreciation I did for what you did at Calvary. It's no comparison. It's not compared to Calvary, but I'm telling you, I appreciate what you did for me. Listen, we're not winning crowns to look good. We're doing it that he looks good. When Jesus came the first time, he wore a crown of thorns, which was yours and mine. For our sins, second time he comes, revelation that his eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And the name that was written, no man knew but himself. 
when he comes back the second time, it's not the crown of thorns that he'd be wearing. He's wearing my servant's crown, your servant's crown, all those that loved him, all those that worshipped him, all those who worked for him. He's wearing their crowns. The righteous crown. We see the returning. What you win, what you get, your service for God goes back to God. Last thing I want you to see is the righteous crowd. Do you ever get a picture like I do sometimes? I get this picture of the throne of Christ and the multitudes around the throne worshiping God. And the Bible says you'll be known as you are known. The Bible says you're going to be known, you're going to know who they are. This righteous crowd. You're getting ready to meet some people. You're getting ready to meet some people that have suffered. Their tongue's been yanked out. They've been impaled on stakes, set afire, cast into the, uh, in the lion's den and eaten up, mocked at, thrown at, babies ripped from mamas because they wouldn't can't. You're getting ready to meet people that actually suffered, bled, and died. For the cause of Christ. And I imagine when you see them, you're going to know them, they're going to know you. Oh, you're one of those 21st century Christians. You, you had that cushioned seat, air conditioning, heat. Oh, we get upset, somebody don't take our track. We get, oh, oh, Lord, they won't take my track. You're going to get to meet people who really suffered for the name of Christ. They suffered. You're going to meet those. You say, well, preacher, you're, you're making heaven sound a little bit heavy. You ought to get nervous in the service, I'm telling you. Those are what's coming next. We all must appear for the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says. That he might sanctify and cleanse with the washing of the blood of by his word. Before we get to enjoy heaven, there's got to be some house cleaning going on down here. Got to be some house cleaning going on down here. You see the reception into the righteous crown. Not me only, but also them that loves his appearing. That lets me know that I can be ready for henceforth. You can be ready for henceforth. I can be ready for what's coming next, and you can be ready for what's coming next. I'm ready. I'm looking. I'm longing. Lord, please come. I don't have to live under a dark shadow 
saying, I hope he doesn't come back today. I got things I need to get right. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I'm saying, Lord, uh, if you need to come right now, if you need to take me right now, I'm ready. I've done the things I needed to do. I've fought the fight. Uh, I've kept the course. I've kept the faith, Lord. I I'm not ashamed uh, of meeting you. Uh, I'm saying, Lord, if it's need to, come back now. Can you say that? I know sometimes it's hard down here to see heaven. This world is troll, troubles, and everything is going on in it. That's why the Bible says we're to walk by faith, not by sight. A lady named Florence Chadwick. Anybody ever heard of her? Y'all probably ask, where in the world do you get these stories from? I'll make them up. No, I don't. 1952, Florence Chadwick was a swimmer. She swung large bodies of water. In fact, she was getting ready to swim from the Catalina Islands to the shore of California. 20-some miles, 25 miles, something like that. And she was going to be the first woman to ever do this. She sets out, Catalina, getting ready to go to shore. Swimming, there were people on boats beside of her and everything. She just moving on, and all of a sudden, a dense fog moved in on her. And she was swimming, but she said, "I couldn't see anything." She lost her bearings. She said, "I can't see the shore." She kept striving for a while, and finally, she said, "Get me out! I can't do it! I can't do it!" When they took her out. She didn't realize she was only about a mile from the shore. She was heartbroken. She said, I'm going to do this again. She went out and started swimming again. This time another fall came in denser than the one before. She couldn't see. You couldn't see a hand in front of you. She couldn't even see her. She couldn't see nothing. But she kept swimming. She didn't stop. When she finally got to the shore, she couldn't see it. She got to the shore and they said, why, why, why did you just give up? This fog was denser than one before. Why didn't you? She says, you know what? The reason why I was able to make it this time because I had a mental vision of what the shoreline looked like. And I strive for that. Christian, until you get that mental vision of what heaven's going to look like, you lively give up a mile from the home shore. I'd hate to give up when I'm so close. Get that mental vision in your mind where you're heading and keep it there. Don't let the devil, don't let the world drag it out of your mind. You keep that vision. You keep going. You keep striving. You keep swimming. You say, Lord, I'm heading that way. I'm not giving up. I'm not looking back. I'm not turning around. I'm heading to heaven. I'm on my way. Because if you don't, the flip side of that is hell. And that's another sermon, hell. Amen. 